week as I mentioned in prayer there, he will be preaching at the community center on Tuesday. Quite an honor. I don't understand exactly what the service will be. My dad called it a whaling service. Um, <clears throat> somehow or another, I don't know if this is the beginning of whaling season or what. Yeah, whaling, sorry. But he's going to be um, preaching at the community center. So pray for him. Um, Jason said there's a lot of people there that have some form of Christian religion, but it's sort of mixed in with um, tribal beliefs and such, and just a lot of confusion. <clears throat> and like I said, um, it's just religion because there's a lot of immorality in some of the same ones that claim um, religion, yet there's no, nothing that looks like biblical living at all. They're even very specific on a specific version. They believe is the Word of God. And boy, they are dogmatic about it. But there's no real relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, anyway, quite a confusing thing for him to have to deal with. How can people be so dogmatic about some things of the faith, but yet, you know, don't attend church, don't walk with God, um, not even sure they read the Bible that they claim to be the Bible. But um, let's continue to pray for them there as <clears throat> they minister. Uh, some cultural ceremonies like that can be a little awkward sometimes when you're an outsider. Um, Laura and I were in the Philippines one time. This was the year before we got married, I think. And we were up in the mountains at this village, and everything was being done in the local dialect. So I didn't know what was going on at, in Sunday school that morning, and then it comes time for worship service, and I believe I may have preached that morning. But the weirdest part was when I got through preaching, and it came to the end of the service, and we thought church was over, and all of a sudden, they just roll in all, the mo all these motorbikes, and I think maybe bicycles, too. And and was it just the motorbikes? And anyway, I just remember being confused at why they've just rolled all these down to the altar. And it's a little, you know, hut with the grass roof and metal, you know, about waist-high walls. And anyway, they roll them all down and down the aisle. And then just out of all of this elongo, they look at me and say, and Brother Aaron will lead in our prayer of blessing. Blessing for what? I don't know what's going on. There's motorcycles. They're down the aisle. And I remembered seeing like on Zorro or something like that, the old black and white Zorro TV show where they had the blessing of the animals and they brought all the animals to the church and the priest prayed and blessed the animals. That's all I could think of. So I'm like, well, I guess that's what we're doing. So I got up and prayed for the motorcycles and <laughs> for the safety of those who would be driving them. I didn't know what we were doing. I hope they've given my brother more information than what I have on what a whaling service is. And I'm whaling service. Well, let's pray for him this week. We're in John chapter 14 this morning. John chapter 14. <coughs> and let's start at verse number 
verse number 10. For the sake of those who haven't been in the class the last few times, <clears throat> Jesus said, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So we had established before a few lessons ago that God the Father, Jesus acknowledges that God the Father was working through him. And then Jesus says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. <clears throat> and we had broken down these works in the verses that follow into four areas. The first was powerful prayer, and that's what our last lesson was on these greater works that the disciples would do and that you and I as believers are able to do. Of course, we talked about that this is a spiritual work, most importantly, that it is the work of uh, proclaiming the work of salvation. And it was happening because he would go to the Father. Well, then a couple of verses later, he says, because he goes to his Father, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. So the point is, you and I can do great works because... We can do these greater works because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. It's not in and of ourselves to do this. Jesus himself said he didn't do the works on his own. It was the Father that did them through him. So we should recognize that we need someone else working through us, and that would be the work of the Holy Spirit through us. And first, it involves prayer. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then verse 15, if you love me, <clears throat> keep my commandments. Now, another verse we're going to be looking at this morning is in verse 21. <clears throat> he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. <clears throat> Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Notice how many times he uses the word love here. We're going to look at two things this morning. First of all, <clears throat> in two things in relationship to obedience or what I'm calling passionate obedience. This is the obedience that the Holy Spirit empowers in the believer. First of all is the work of the Spirit. And secondly, and most of it, we'll be looking at our responsibility. But first of all, we see the foundational truth here, or the motivating factor of our obedience to the Lord is love. Our obedience is motivated by love. The first fruit of the Spirit we have in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The Holy Spirit, when we get saved, begins to produce love in our hearts. 
It's been amazing over the years to see, <clears throat> growing up in church ministry, to see somebody who gets saved and they just suddenly love church. They didn't like church yesterday. They didn't like it last week. But all of a sudden, they just love being at God's house. They love hearing preaching. You know, before it was the football game that thrilled them, and now it's preaching. Why the change? Why, why would somebody suddenly not be as excited about football and be more excited about the preaching of God's Word? What would make them suddenly love the Bible and enjoy reading it? What would make them suddenly love other Christians? Something that was very odd to them before. It's because they have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. And when you and I get saved, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, producing love. But also being around church work long enough, I've seen people who profess, profess Christ, who profess the faith, who at one time had this great love for people. And then all of a sudden, well, it's not really all of a sudden, over a process of time, this love begins to get weak and they begin to become a very grumbly Christian, a very unhappy Christian, a very unloving Christian. And we could jump at it first off and say, oh, well, they must not be saved because they don't have the Holy Spirit producing love in their hearts. But there is a thing called quenching the Spirit. You and I can quench the Spirit, and when we start walking in disobedience, we start quenching the Spirit. It's like putting out a fire. It's not that we're getting rid of the Holy Spirit, but we're not allowing His influence to burn brightly in our hearts. And sin and pride and bitterness and unforgiveness, <clears throat> these things are works of the flesh that can begin to quench the Holy Spirit's work in our heart. But a new Christian hasn't had time to do that yet. And so they get saved and there's all this love that starts pouring out. And when you and I are being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and we're dealing with sin as he shows it to us, he is going to produce love. I used to read these verses, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I thought, wow, I, there are some areas where I'm struggling with obedience. I need to love God better. Well, then I couldn't figure out, how do I just conjure up this love in my heart? How do I produce this love myself? And so that would bring discouragement because I couldn't figure out how to make my love for God better. And then I just had to decide I'm just going to obey. And I've had friends tell me over the years, well, you know, um, our, love is supposed, our, our obedience is supposed to be motivated by love and, you know, I'm just not, I, I don't have the right motive, so I don't have to obey. That's dumb. I, I don't know how else to say it is, well, since I don't have my motivation right, I just don't have to obey the scriptures. Well, I, I feel kind of like Charles and John Wesley's father was, um, I think it was their father that they both realized they didn't know if they were truly saved or not. And here they were preachers. And some, some other preacher anyway told them to preach the faith until they had it. In other words, they knew the truth. They knew how to preach the gospel. So he said, you just keep preaching it until you yourself believe it. And that's what they did. And I do find in my life that when I start obeying God, regardless of how I feel about it, well, that love begins to increase for him. Well, why is that? Because I'm yielding now to the Holy Spirit. I'm not quenching him anymore. I'm yielding. And so if you don't 
feel the love in order to obey, just start obeying. And it's amazing how he will produce that love. Romans 5.5 talks about the love that is shed abroad in our hearts. The Holy Spirit sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. We need to pray for more love. Lord, produce more love in my heart. And whether it's other Christians you're having trouble loving or the lost world that you're having trouble loving or the word of God that you're not loving enough or God himself or your family, ask the Holy Spirit to produce more love in your heart. And it's amazing how your heart changes because it's the Holy Spirit's work. We are commanded to love. Wives, love your husband. Husbands are commanded to love their wives. The wives are to be taught to love their husbands and their children. But, so, so there are times where you and I have to choose love. And people say, well, you know, I can't choose who I love. Well, you can. You can make that choice. And the only reason why I'm positive of that is because the scripture commands us to. There are times where we just choose to love. We don't wait for the emotion of love. It is a choice of the will that I will love. But you and I, this is, the love he's talking about here is not a love that we have to choose, but it is a love that's produced by the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, that is such a freeing thing for me to realize that I don't have to conjure up enough of this love to be obedient to God, but that the Holy Spirit produces this in my heart. It may just be a spark on some days, but there's that spark of love for God, and the more I think about Him, and the more I spend time with Him, and the more I meditate on His Word, the deeper that love grows. So our obedience as Christians should be motivated by love. Let's go on to the next part here. Then if we could turn over to verse 21, we're going to find the rest of our lesson here in verses 21 to and 23 and 24. Let's look at 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. So here's the true test of love for Christ. The first part here, he that hath my commandments. I skipped over this part for a long time. And it was just recently that I realized, okay, there are multiple points here. One of my favorite professors at school always said, let the scriptures give you the outline. Let the text, whatever your main verse is, let that verse give you the outline. And so I read over things sometimes in a different way, and then all of a sudden I'll hear Dr. Estes say, let the text give you the outline. So I start paying attention to every little part of the verse when I hear him say that. And that's when I realized, oh wait, it doesn't, it doesn't just instantly put the spotlight on keeping God's word. It first says, he that hath his words. I never noticed that as something separate. But this word hath here. It means to have or to hold, to literally hold something in your hand. That's why the picture of the man holding his Bible. It's to take the idea of taking possession of it. Pick it up. Make it your own. 
It's not good enough just to read the Bible. I mean, I could go to the post office and go through mail and just start reading people's letters. Okay, that's a federal crime. I understand that. But if it wasn't a federal crime, or I'm just a criminal, let's say, and I go and I start reading through everybody else's mail, you know, oh, hey, Jack, had a wonderful time yesterday. I have no clue what he's talking about. I don't know what they did yesterday, but it was a wonderful time. Read somebody else's mail. Oh, it's all mushy and all lovey-dovey. I just don't understand all of it. Why? I'm reading someone else's mail. But when a letter comes to my house and I open it up, I read it and understand it. Now, it's not that always that way with text. If you text relatives who are older, sometimes that doesn't make sense. I mean, that you speak a different language in text. Amen? Okay, Kara was laughing. I'm like, yeah, she knows. Oops, did I say your name? Now your parents know what you think of their text. <laughs> no, but in all reality, we text people sometimes that we just think different. And it just doesn't make sense. You know, I, I have no clue what they just said. Lauren, I got a text like that this week. We're like, we don't even know how to respond. We have responded multiple ways. And they, it was funny. I was texting my mom this week, and um, she said something to me. Asked me a question, and I answered her. And then she asked me the same question another way. And I answered her again. And then she asked me again. And I answered again. And this time I'm just, I'm just mad. I'm like, why does she not understand what I'm saying? Are we speaking different languages? It was really frustrating. And then I get a text from my dad. It's in a group text with Laura and I and my parents. And my dad says, hey, what's going on over there? Like, why aren't y'all responding? And I'm just, then the phone rings. And my mom's like, hey, why aren't you answering my text? I keep answering you over and over. And then all of a sudden I hear ding, 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 ding on the phone. She's like, oh, here's all your responses. They weren't going through. That's the reason why she was asking me over and over and over, <clears throat> because she wasn't getting any of mine. We have problems with communication sometimes. We have problems with the mail. But when it's really confusing is when you get somebody else's mail. And it doesn't make any sense. But this is not someone else's mail. This is for you. You have to take the Word of God and make it your own. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. Let's flip over there real quick. <clears throat> Romans chapter 15. And verse number 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our what? Our learning. He's talking about the Old Testament. He said the Old Testament was written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Sometimes there is so much comfort in reading the Old Testament. It's for our learning and for our comfort, for our hope. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10. First <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them in the Old Testament for in samples or examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. They are written for, notice that word, for. 
In other words, the, the law of God may have been written to the Old Testament Hebrews, but it was written for us. The Psalms were written for the Hebrews, but they are, sorry, to the Hebrews, but they are written for us. The Old Testament prophets were written to specific groups of the Hebrews, primarily, but they are written for us, for our example, for our learning, for our encouragement. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse number 16. All Scripture, how much of it? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. All Scripture is profitable. It is a dangerous thing when you and I start tearing apart the Word of God and say, well, this part has no application to me. This part doesn't mean anything to me. This part, and we start picking it apart and choosing which parts do apply to us. Now, if you're looking for the part that was written to us, I suppose you could choose the Gospel of John because that one, I think, was written for the world. You know, so, but you've got to throw out the other three Gospels because one was written to the Greeks, and I'm not Greek. Any Greeks in here? Okay, no Greeks in here. Throw out, I think it was Mark was for the Greeks. Throw that out. Um, Hebrews, any, uh, sorry, Hebrews. Uh, Matthew was written for the Jews. Any Jews in here? I'm like a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage Jew, Jewish, possibly. So, you know, I mean, like, can I even claim it? You know, I'm a New Testament Christian. I can't claim Matthew. You, you start, I mean, that may seem a little ridiculous, but Laura and I have had people sit at, in our house at our table and say, well, these parts of the scriptures don't apply to us. The only parts that we need as New Testament Christians are, and then they give us a tiny part of the New Testament. But Paul said all Scripture, and the only Scripture that was established as Scripture when he wrote those words, all Scripture, was the Old Testament. So how can we reject it as Christians? Then I think of this. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Old Testament. Am I not quenching the Holy Spirit when I tell him that what he has written doesn't mean anything to me? That's a serious offense against a holy God. Now, if you don't believe that the Holy Spirit is God, then you haven't offended God. But if you truly believe that we worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, then you have offended God himself by claiming his word doesn't apply to you. We have to own it. The whole thing from Genesis to Revelation, it's not whether we like it or not. It's not whether we're comfortable with a passage or not. It's not whether we understand it or not. You know, we have a tendency, we get to the genealogies and we get uncomfortable and go, oh, I'm to this chapter. It's got 60 million verses and all these names I can't pronounce. And then we start making fun of the names and all kinds of stuff. But if a holy God was sitting in front of you and he said, here's my word, read this, and the page he gave you was genealogy, like Dr. Nicole in Bulgaria back in, uh, under, the, under communism, and that's the one page you had, 
What if all you had was a page of genealogy? In my flesh, I would have a tendency to go, why did you do this to me? Do you really love me? Why? Because I'm not valuing the word of God. This week, I came to a long chapter of genealogy. And there's always that, even if I'm in my mind going, okay, this is God's word, I'm going to respect it, even though I don't understand why in the world he put all these names in this list. But this week when I got to it, I was instantly reminded as I opened my Bible and saw what chapter it was in front of me that morning, I was instantly reminded that this was God's word and it had a purpose and there was a reason this was here. It was like the Holy Spirit said, you just better start out respecting this. And I opened up and I started reading. You know, I have had days where I get something out of the genealogies. It's like something pops out and I'm like, I wonder what that name means. And then you look up the name and you get this really amazing lesson. And that day, it, that didn't happen. But as I started reading the genealogy, what really struck me that day is that God paid so much attention to detail that he preserved this whole genealogy that to me, in my modern 21st century American mind honestly don't get. But yet I know there's a purpose for it being there. And I had read um, the Bible stick people had sent out a newsletter um, a couple of years ago and shared how that there was a tribe somewhere in Africa that genealogy was a really big deal to them. And if you could go back so many names in your genealogy, then you were somebody. Well, the whole village comes and they gather around because they had gotten one of those little um, Bible boxes that you can charge by winding. And it's also solar powered. And um, they all gathered around and they charged it up and they started listening to the Bible. So the whole village is in a big circle around the Bible box. They've never heard the scriptures before and they start to listen to the scriptures. And it says the genealogy of Jesus Christ in their language. And it starts going on and on and on and on through what Gentile um, Americans would see and go, oh, here's the genealogy. They're listening and they were kind of interested. Well, it gets to the end of the genealogy and they start cheering. They're excited. This guy is somebody. Did you hear how many generations they listed of him? He's somebody. This Jesus is important. We need to hear who this is. It was the genealogies that to you and I might not make as big of a deal, but it's the word of God. And it had a powerful witness to this African village. So don't reject the word of God just because you don't understand even why it's there. Make it your own. Take possession of it. Now, I understand in the context, Jesus is specifically speaking about his words that he spoke in his ministry, but the whole book is his and he spoke it all. So, don't start throwing it away. And some days you may need to remind yourself it was written to, say, if you're reading in Ephesians, it was written to the Ephesians for me. It was written to the Jews for me. It was written to the Colossians, but for me. Make the word of God your own. Take possession of it. Secondly, the second part of this test, he said, he that hath my words. And then he says, and keepeth them. And keepeth them. This word keep is the Greek word terio, and it means to watch, to guard, to keep the eyes on. 
And in the context here, it literally means to observe. And it's not just that you're watching it. It's not just that you're looking at it, which that's a major part of keeping God's word or observing God's word is keeping it before your eyes. I don't know about you, but I'm forgetful. And if I don't keep something before my eyes, I forget about it. I have to make notes to myself sometimes on what to do. I mean, come on, I have trouble remembering to take my vitamins when I get up in the morning if I don't have a note telling me to take vitamins. I know that's ridiculous. But if I have it on my note, and I, okay, so I'll, I'll make a to-do list sometimes. I've got to get back to this in my phone. And it'll say stuff like, drink water. I forget to drink water. Like the basic health things that help me stay healthier, like drinking water. I mean, what am I going to get? I'm going to get a Dr. Pepper. I know I'm diabetic. It will be a diet Dr. Pepper, I promise. But, I mean, that's what comes to my mind. It's not drink a big glass of water. And so I'll make these lists in my phone, and it'll say, drink water. Oh, yeah, I've only had one glass of water today. Okay, I'll go get another glass of water. It'll have, like, however many glasses of water I need that day. It'll say drink water that many times. That way I can check off the button. And then it will say exercise. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. But I have to have a list because if I don't keep it continually before my eyes, I'm forgetful. And we're that way with the Word of God. When we keep it before our eyes, when we're guarding it, when we're observing it, when we're reading it, when we're meditating on it, it's not just enough to memorize it. We have to meditate it. We have to apply it to our lives. We make it personal. And it really helps when we start out accepting it as ours when we really take possession of it, that lays the groundwork for when I read it, I'm going to hear from God because he is talking to me. He's talking to me today through his word. So start getting into God's word. Spend time in it. Make it yours. And then make it a regular part of your life. Start keeping it. Start observing it. The idea of observation here is that we keep our eyes on it. For what purpose? To apply it and to obey it. That is the ultimate goal here, to apply it and to obey it. And in a future lesson, probably next time I teach, we'll be talking about this ministry of teaching, how the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and applies it to our lives. But for now, I'm just going to say we real, we've got to realize it's the Holy Spirit that helps us understand and teaches us the Word of God when we pull it out and we read it on our own. But we have to be making this application to our lives. Whether you're reading in Numbers or whether you're reading in the book of Hebrews, Lord, apply it to my life. Make it real. Make it practical for today. And when it starts becoming real to us, when we start seeing what it is that God has for us today... Um, I remember when I first started doing this, I was reading in Colossians one day, and um, I read the verse, children, obey your parents in all things. I was probably about 16 years old. Well, probably younger than that, 14 or 15. Children, obey your parents in all things. Well, first of all, I wanted to apply that to the children and not teenagers, right? Because it doesn't apply to us. I didn't know any Greek, okay? I didn't know how to do any word searches like that. I just looked in the context. 
And I'm like, I looked at the verses above it and the verses after. I'm like, well, there's parents, there's, there's husbands, there's wives, and then there's children. So just by the context and by the, that little feeling I had in my heart, I knew the Holy Spirit was saying that applies to you. You are a teenager. You are one of those children that I'm talking to in the Colossian church there. Anyway, I got older and I started studying it out. And even when I studied it out in Greek, guess who it was applying to? <laughs> it was applying to the teenagers, not just the little kids. Anyway, the Holy Spirit spoke to me that day. Didn't need a Greek lexicon or anything. And the Holy Spirit showed me that that children there was me. The Holy Spirit was speaking to me. So what was my assignment that day from God? I had his word. I had made it my own. Now the job is to observe it. Now the job is today, every time my mom tells me to do something, have a good attitude and just obey it. That's what I got out of God's word that morning. God was speaking to me. God was talking to me. I remember when I was at Trinity um, in Louisiana that there was a teenager from North Belt one time that got mad and called one of the teenagers in our church there. She was mad at Pastor Hubby because every Sunday all Pastor Hubby preached about was obeying your parents. You would think he would move on to something else. And the teenager from our church who was really struggling being under her parents' authority and struggling with a lot of things at the moment just popped right off to that girl, said, well, have you started doing it yet? In other words, if you would start obeying your parents, maybe Pastor Hubby would preach about something different. Anyway, the teenage girl comes to me during the week. She said, hey, Aaron, so-and-so called me this week and was mad at her pastor, uh, Pastor Hubby, because he keeps preaching about honoring your parents. And I asked her, are you doing it yet? And um, she said, I have a feeling that's not what Pastor Hubby is preaching about every Sunday. But I have a feeling because she's doing so bad at it, that's all she hears in church. And she's right. The pastor can get up and preach a sermon about honoring your parents and you walk out convicted that you need to start tithing. Well, the preacher didn't say anything about money, period. How did you get that? The Holy Spirit takes the word of God and applies it to our hearts. And when we open up the scriptures and, and we read them, the Holy Spirit begins making applications that apply to us. Some days you sit down and all you see is what applies to everybody else. But we need to start praying, Lord, take your word, apply it to my heart so that I can obey it. We're looking for God to do some kind of spooky thing to start speaking to us when he is. Every time we read his word, he's speaking. We just need to listen and start applying it to our lives. So first of all, we need to possess it. Secondly, we need to observe it. There needs to be possession, observation. And number three, submission. Look at 24. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. We see Christ's submission to his Father. He said, these are not my words. I'm just falling in line here. I'm giving you what he gave me. And really, the submission comes down to us. When we read the word of God, it, it, the words of Jesus, they came from the Father through Jesus. Now, when they come to us, do we accept them and just fall in line? Okay, this is what you said. This is what I'm going to do. The Father told you to forgive. You hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They know, what they know not what they do. You obeyed the Father. Now, you've told us to forgive. 
we fall in line with the submission. We submit to what Christ has said. We submit to everything in this book that the Holy Spirit has written. And I tell you, the main reason why we would hold up sections of Scripture and not want any application to us whatsoever is because we have a problem with submission. We just don't want to submit. There are portions of Scripture I look at, and I, un- and I have to understand them by their context. Otherwise, I can take one verse and make it mean all kinds of crazy stuff. But I take the Word of God, and that's why he said study it. That's why it has to be rightly divided. But as I study the Word of God, and as the Holy Spirit speaks to me, and it is applied by Him to my life, I, I should be submitting, I should be obeying, I should be under His authority. This is the idea as what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, follow me as I follow Christ. We should be followers of God. That when we read the word of God, we just start following. We start obeying. We get in line. If you study out Romans chapter 8 and Romans chapter 6, talking, uh, sorry, Romans 6 and 8, yes, talking about victory and talking about dealing with sin, if you come to Romans chapter 8, there is now therefore no condemnation to them which be in Christ Jesus who walk after the... I I know I I got some of that mixed up, but who, who are walking after the Spirit and not after the flesh. In other words, the Christian's responsibility is to follow the Spirit, not the flesh. You and I are gonna be obedient every day to somebody. We are either gonna obey our flesh or we're gonna obey the Spirit. Well, then we start wanting victory over sin. I don't want to be following the flesh. So we start in our own flesh trying to overcome sin. Well, I'm saved, so I have victory. And so we start working so hard on trying to have victory, yet what we should be focusing on is simple obedience. Taking the word of God, reading it, applying it, obeying it. And when we do this, there will be victory over sin in our lives. I read a I read something the other day um, in Jerry Bridges' book, um, The Pursuit of Holiness. He said, God wants us to walk in obedience, not victory. Obedience is oriented toward God. Victory is oriented toward self. This may seem to be merely splitting hairs over semantics, but there is a subtle self-centered attitude at the root of many of our difficulties with sin. Until we face this attitude and deal with it, it we will not consistently Um, walk in holiness. This is not to say God doesn't want us to experience victory, but rather to emphasize that victory is a byproduct of obedience. As we concentrate on living an obedient, holy life, we will certainly experience the joy of victory over sin. I tell you, there have been so many battles in my life with sin that I could not overcome because I was focusing so hard on having victory over my sin. I would memorize verses about my sin, I would meditate on the verses about my sin, and still fall right into the sin. Why? My eyes were constantly on the sin. They were constantly on me. I was making the Word of God self-centered for me. But all of a sudden, when I started reading the Word of God, and I just got focused on the Word of God and what He was saying to me today, And focusing on being obedient, my eyes got off of me. It got off of my sin. It got off of my struggle. It got on Christ, and there was power. Why? Because I was falling in love with him. I was wanting to obey him. I was wanting to do what he said, and it put all of the focus in the right place. 
and that was on him. So let's review here. Our motivation <clears throat> is love. This is the work of the Holy Spirit when we get saved. Then our first responsibility is to take possession of the word of God. We have to own it. Secondly, we have to observe it. We have to apply it to our lives and start obeying it. And then third is submission. There has to be that complete obedience to the word of God. And then as we close here, the result of this is a sweeter fellowship with the Father and the Son. And I put three things here, a dearer love, a divine knowledge, and a deeper abiding. Let's just read them real quickly as we close. Verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father. I thought God so loved the world. He does. But this is a different kind of love. I mean, I love a lot of people, but I love my wife more. There is a deeper love that I have for my wife than anybody else. There's a deeper love I have for my children than I have for anybody else. And Jesus said, the person who takes possession of my word, the person who starts keeping my word, he said, that's the person that loves me. And the person who's doing all of this, he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him. So there's a special fellowship, a deeper, dearer love with the Father and with the Son. And then look what he says, and will manifest myself unto him. That literally means to show yourself. You're showing yourself to somebody. You're not keeping yourself hidden in a bag. You know, you're taking the mask off, and now we can see your face. Hallelujah. That's the idea here. He's revealed himself. Now we can see him better. There is this knowledge of Christ that the world doesn't have. And there's a knowledge of Christ that other Christians don't have when they're not walking in obedience to the word of God. There's this divine knowledge and then a deeper abiding. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him. Here it is, the fellowship again. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. You say, well, I thought back earlier in chapter 14, it said that when a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit comes to abide with them forever. Yes, he does, but this is a different kind of abiding. In fact, this Greek word is only used one other time in the Bible, and that's at the beginning of John chapter 14 in verse 2, when he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. It's the same word that's used here. He said, when you love my father, we will come and we'll set up house with you. We're going to set up a mansion in your heart. There will be a special abiding. There is a special fellowship that you and I can have when we're walking in obedience to the word of God. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us this week to obey your word. Lord, help us to apply it to our hearts. Lord, help us to make it personal and real. Lord, help us to realize, Holy Spirit, that you have written these words on this page and preserved them for us. And Lord, we thank you that we have the holy words of the living God. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would produce more and more love in our hearts for Christ and that we would dig deeper into his words, that we would spend more time with him this week 
And as we apply your word and as we obey your word, Lord, we look forward to the fellowship, the closeness, the intimacy we will have with you that the world knows nothing about. Lord, I pray that you would help every one of us to grow sweeter and more like Jesus this week. In Christ's name we pray, amen.